tap it in. Welcome back to the Big Players Only Podcast, a partner of the Listen Frederick Podcast Network, and now sponsored by Four Craft Cocktails. We'll recap the Charles Schwab Challenge from this past week, a playoff between Sam Burns and Scotty Scheffler, lots of good golf, some crazy conditions as the winds got up in Texas. We'll move on to the Memorial Tournament this week at Jack's Place. Always a great course, always an amazing field as the men prepare for the upcoming U.S. Open. And speaking of U.S. Opens, the Women's U.S. Open is this week at Pine Needles Resort in Southern Pines, North Carolina, a course that all of the big players had the pleasure of playing. Some of us struggled. That course is a beast. It's a classic Donald Ross, small greens, tight fairways. Should be a lot of fun to watch the women compete this week. Then to wrap up the episode, we'll talk about the match 6.0 happening this week. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers take on Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. A changing of the guard in the NFL should be lots of fun to watch. Some pretty good golfers there. Lots of money to charity. Should be a lot of great challenges. Thanks for being here. Let's have a great episode. Four Craft Cocktails, the best tasting and easiest drinking transfusion on the market. Whether you're on the course, at a tailgate, or enjoying a Friday night with your friends, you'll find the pre-mixed 7% Four Craft Transfusion, just what you're looking for to mix things up. With a variety of other products, including a Bloody Mary, Ranch Water, and a coming this summer John Daly, it's the go-to beverage for the big players. A family-owned, all-natural, gluten-free drinking option that has the guys playing their best and feeling even better. You can find all their retail locations at fourcraftcocktails.com. That's F-O-R-E craftcocktails.com. And make sure to mention to your local beer shop and golf course that we need these things everywhere. All right, a pretty good week here at Colonial. Sam Burns and Scotty Scheffler in a one-hole playoff. It only took one hole. I didn't know that Sam Burns and Scotty Scheffler were like best friends until the end of that playoff, but I think there'd probably be no one I'd rather go up against in a playoff than like my best friend because you know that there's no love lost, and it's just like you can be as competitive as you want. Um, But Sam Burns comes off of a a 90-minute-plus break, uh, comes out, hits a Rosa three-wood down the fairway, pitching wedge to like 30 feet. And then just perfect speed, drains the putt, beats Scotty Scheffler. These two guys are some of the hottest golfers on the planet. To see them both in a playoff was pretty impressive. Uh, What are you guys' thoughts from the week? Well, yeah, I mean, especially they went about it two very different ways to get to the playoff. Scotty came into the day with a two-shot lead. As hot as he's been, I didn't think there was any chance he was letting the tournament slip away. And sure enough, I think he struggled as pretty much everybody did except for Burns that day. And Burns goes out and shoots, what, five under or something like that, climb the leaderboard. So it was pretty cool to see two guys kind of converge at the end and then go up against one another. And, you know, Burns gets the the tartan jacket and what what was the car? The 1971 Firebird. Yeah, the Schwab edition. It's, it's absolutely all, amazing. It's is, that a, is that, have they always done that or is that a new I think it's thing? new. I think it's new. They're just trying to bring some more attention to a tournament that I think <laughs> probably doesn't get a lot of viewers. But, like, that car is going to get a lot of guys watching Sunday to see this guy jump in so and that's, win. So that's the best trophy on tour now, right? You get a car out of it? They already have, like, a... A, a trophy that's like the size of a car, and now they give you a car with it. At least he got a, a nice car because the jacket it did not fit at all. I'm pretty sure they assumed that uh, Scott or uh, yeah, Scheffler was going to win this and not Burns because he's swimming in that. Boat. I don't know who was on the leaderboard, but you're right. I mean, I got to assume they have like an assortment of jackets pretty much ready to go. And yeah, Sam's got on like a 
like a 48 when he should be in like a 44 right here. Yeah, there was, they, they didn't think another person was going to come back from seven-shot deficit to win. But yeah. Well, well, this round was crazy. I mean, early in the back nine on Sunday, there were five guys tied for the lead, and Sam Burns wasn't one of them. Yeah. And then we saw a couple epic collapses of Harold Varner, I think, went 10 over on the back nine. Ugh, relatable. And a couple other relatable. guys just couldn't get anything to fall and really struggled in the wind. So it was just – it was wild. I enjoy watching tournaments like this or following along when everybody's just got to maintain, make pars to get through to the end. But, you know, one guy goes out and plays super well and is in really good position to watch the leaders come back. Those what? Texas wins picked up yeah. and really really took over in the, the yeah, Ken, Ken loves form. that, right? Yeah. I mean, this is a course, too, that it's just super tight off the tee, so you're just you're not going to be able to beat this thing up with distance. So then when the winds start getting up, the, you think about the fairways, they're already tight. They're like half the size with the wind, because right, the ball's rolling, it's moving. So, I mean, some of these collapses, like Harold Varner shooting 10 over on the back nine is unbelievable. Two triples, two doubles, a four-putt. I mean, just... You think about these pros being like fairly stable and their their minds are really calm pretty much everywhere they are. There's very few times you look at a pro and you're like, he's really struggling. But this wind made these guys think twice about every every single thing they were doing that, on Sunday. But it was pretty impressive. I mean, Harold Varner, as we keep alluding to, played horribly down the stretch. He kept a positive attitude. I think he's well known for that on tour. Finishes the round instead of just packing his bags and going home. He went and signed autographs for kids and kind of hung around and really a class act from a guy that's very well liked on tour. Yeah. He's the man. I, I really want to see him win in a few of these tour events that he's in contention for. It always seems that he just has, he struggles on that last round, that last day he really blows up um, front nine. I thought this was his week. And then once again, it just epic collapse. Do love HV three, but I think he's, he kind of falls into that pot of a lot of these golfers where you know they're talented, but you're right. Coming down Sunday, it's like they don't have that killer instinct. Even the event he won over on uh, like the DP World in, in Saudi Arabia, like he made like an 85 footer on the last hole to beat Bubba Watson by one. So it wasn't like I give him props, like a win's a win, and being up on the leaderboard's impressive. But he didn't by any means go out and take that tournament. I feel like we've seen it this year more than any recent year like guys that haven't won are just having a really hard time closing out tournaments we saw it at the pga two weeks ago we saw it with all those guys at the top this week and i, I think countless other examples but i think it's just getting harder and harder to close out on tour and and beat some of the experienced guys out here i think it brings us back to a, a comment from our recent interviewee fat perez talking about how it's way more fun to watch a golf tournament when you know anybody can win on Sunday, whether you're four shots back, six shots back, or you have the lead. And I think the past few weeks we've been seeing that. Guys coming out of nowhere, leaders struggling a little bit. You know, I really think, like, Scotty, obviously I think he's the best golfer in the world right now. He didn't play bad on Sunday, uh, but he really just didn't have his stuff. So I'm really hoping him to kind of get back in the groove as we get here into the U.S. Open and the Open. I mean, Scotty might have been a little distracted. He had a big wedding to go to, his sister-in-law's wedding. That is his pretty funny. head wasn't in it, I don't think. I think a big positive that Scotty can take from Sunday, even though he kind of lost it at the end there, was he hit some ridiculous like eight-footers with all the pressure on the line to keep himself in it and force a playoff there at the end. I think Scotty is like, he might be one of the best putters in the world, without a doubt. You're right. I mean, he's got a world-class short game. I'll give him that. He's really great around the greens. But when the wind's up and you're in these precarious spots, like the closest you can even get it is eight feet. And he looks, no one looks more confident over eight-footer right now, I think, than Scotty. So speaking of the the playoff there, just curious, like how do the boys feel about you know this style of playoff we saw this week where it's just kind of sudden death, you know, first one to win a hole wins versus what we saw at the PGA where it was that three-hole aggregate. Which do you guys like better? I really like the three-hole aggregate. I think it's cool, like, if you see someone come out and birdie that first hole just to see what the answer is from that other golfer. We kind of saw it with JT and Zalatoris the other week where they were going back and forth with the birdies early. But you say someone makes the long putt, 
give the other guy another chance to come back the next hole and do the same thing. I think it's cool to see them go up against each other than maybe just have one hole decide the whole thing. I'm on the same side. I like it in the sense of, like, you think about now, we got so many, like, bombers, and then you got the people that are just, like, deadly accurate. Like, you kind of, you can mix in holes that, like, favor the people that can hit it forever, and then the people that are just filthy accurate, like a Colin Morikawa versus, say, a, a Bryson DeChambeau, you kind of get to see both sides of it. I think there's another aspect to an aggregate playoff too is like when a player gets down, like let's say someone birdies the first hole and the guy that pars it, the guy that pars it's pretty much just going like balls to the wall for the rest of the three holes. So he might hit some shots or go for some pins that he he wouldn't normally go for. Um, I know the U.S. Open used to do 18-hole playoffs. I don't know if they still do. I kind of think they do. but I think they got rid of that. I think they got rid of it too. So, I mean, I think that was a pretty cool format. I mean, that's like another day of free golf. That's always like the Monday where you're working, but you're also keeping an eye on the, on the playoff. Well, you took the words out of my mouth, Ben. Why stop at three? Let's just pack it up. Let's come back tomorrow and play another 18 and see who can really take this course over. So in this playoff, we had Burns and Scheffler. Are you thinking about the, uh, the upcoming President's Cup, Ryder Cup year out, you know, next year? Would you like to see the guy, these guys team up? I mean, they're best friends. I think these guys would be pretty much unstoppable down at Quail Hollow. I think it might be kind of the new uh, JT and uh, Justin Thomas kind of thing on the those Ryder Cup, President Cup teams. Like, uh, clearly the U.S. Oh, Jordan, 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 yeah. Sorry, JT. Sorry, my bad. But, like, clearly you, you, we've seen that, like, where the U.S. captains, like, just put people that like each other together, like, most of the time. So I think we're definitely going to see this a lot. And, like, right now they're both easily two of the hottest golfers on tour. So I think it'll be definitely a force to be reckoned with with, you know, an international team that's shaping up to be pretty tough. But you don't think we're going to pair Scotty with, like, a Patrick Reed or somebody like that? Someone that he really gets along with? <laughs> well, I think to that point, too, it's like, do you... I, I'm a person or believer that, like, camaraderie is more important than having games that match up really well. Like, I think oftentimes they try to put a bomber with, like, a good putter, right? Or a good wedge player with a good iron player so you can kind of have <clears throat> kind of a complex team. But I would say putting guys together that just mesh really well, like Jordan and Justin are just... Whether they play well or not, they're just so so fun to watch as well together. Yeah, and, and who would have thought Scotty and Sam Burns, one and two ranked in the President's Cup standings right now, like looking at it at the start of the year. I mean, these are two guys, as we keep saying, really hot, playing really good golf, really solid all-around games that it'll be really exciting to see if they get paired up together. You know, the only reason, too, I think they might not get paired together is even though they're fairly young, these are guys that are really good leaders. And so I could see you putting these guys with maybe a younger, like a Will Zalatoris, who you know is really good, but then maybe just needs like a little extra motivation from time to time. So that's probably the only reason I see them not getting paired together, just because their leadership qualities. I think Sam Burns might be one of the most underrated players on tour right now. I mean, we talk about the young talent on the PGA Tour, the names that come to mind, Justin Thomas, Morikawa, Hovland. No one really mentions Sam Burns, but this is a three-time winner this year already. I mean, you mentioned it. He's, what, second in the President's Cup standings. He's on a tear right now, and no one's really talking about it. Kind of wild that these two have won seven of the tournaments this year. It's like, right? Yeah, it's like almost half of right? Yeah. It's crazy. And I think the one thing that people don't know much about, I mean, we saw in the playoff, is that Sam Burns is actually just a really talented putter. So hits the ball really straight off the tee. He's always top five in strokes gained off the tee. He's a decent iron player, but he like kind of like Scotty. He just really gets it done on the greens. Yeah, I think with Burns, we're still trying to see it in a major. You know, that's the next step for him to take here. I think he had a top 20 at the PGA, but he missed the cut at the Masters and and some mixed success in the, the past couple years. So, you know, that's kind of how you, you earn your spot into that upper echelon with the likes of the other guys that we keep naming is, you know, you do well in a major and maybe even win one. 
I think it's probably a short game that's holding him back a little bit in those in that light. Like Augusta is a place that you have to have like one of the best short games in the world to win because you're going to be six eight feet below the green pretty much every time you miss the green. I guess the PGA like this course presented its short games short game challenges a couple weeks ago, but it really wasn't too tough around the greens. I would love to see him. I want to see Sam. I mean, I know he hits the ball a little high, but see him see him play well in the open too. I could see him really succeeding there. Nice. Well, coming up this week, we got the Memorial Jack's place. It's always a good field. Uh, these guys are prepping up for uh, the U.S. Open in a couple weeks. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on this week of the Memorial? Yeah, one thing I re- I read about was the redesign that the course went through back in 2020. Um, it was the second renovation they'd done in somewhat of a short span. But the one thing that I thought was pretty interesting about it was, yeah, they're trying to catch up to the modern game by moving the tees back and making the fairways a little bit more narrow for them to hit, making it more challenging. <laughs> But they also moved the amateur tees up and widened the fairways for them. I feel like normally what we see on these courses, and we saw it a couple weeks ago, is just back the tee boxes up, and you can see some tee boxes where they're hitting over other greens just to make the course longer. But do we really actually see them widening or narrowing the fairway based on whether it's for a pro or an amateur to hit? I just thought that was a really interesting concept, and maybe more courses do it, but I just haven't seen it. Well, you know, it's a great point, and I tell you, this is like one of the most iconic Jack Nicholas moments. Like, I, I like Jack, but I'm not a huge fan of Jack. I think he's Jack is Jack's biggest fan, and this was, <laughs> and you couldn't have this couldn't have been more perfect moment. In 2020, they were finishing up the round, and Jack had like large ground moving equipment following the last group, and was like tearing up greens while they were putting on the next hole. And I was like, this is so funny. He's like, got to get this done. I'm flying out to Vegas this week. Got to get this done right now. Was that the one that it was like the workday, not this tournament? that they were doing it that he was doing that because like, that and that one actually ended up going into a playoff too yeah i don't know but i just remember the moment i'm thinking about was when jack was re- redesigning his own course but i think tyler to your point about being a little more twofold about like making the course play hard for pros but then also like having you know bulges in the fairways where the average 230 guy's gonna hit it off the tee from the amateur tees i love that idea yeah, I'm pretty excited about this. I was kind of looking into the course, and like I found that you know Jack has basically said like he likes to try to make this course play fairly similar to the U.S. Open. So I think we're going to see get a little preview of those like really thick roughs, those really fast greens, and maybe see some fireworks on what is maybe one of the best like finishing stretches on tour. Like through all this redesign stuff, like these are some really fun risk reward holes. I think for me, the most notable is uh, 14, the par four, that it's like 360 yards. Uh, like I remember it mostly from when Colin Morikawa won in 2020 and he drove it and had like an eagle putt that ended up being a, leading to a forced playoff with JT that he then won. And it's just like there's all these guys can get it there and there's just that risk reward. I think we're going to see some some big things happen on these holes. Yeah, because then, right, we move into 15, a 560-yard par five, 16, trademark 200-yard par three, um, 17 long par four and then 18 another long par four I think 18 is one of the best finishing holes in golf it's a it's a fairly tight tee shot with water up the left but if you bail right into the rough you have almost no shot at the green because the green's elevated the rough around the green is just diabolical um, I think that this course really is and why John Rahm plays so well here is it's definitely a course that drive, guys that drive the ball well play, play well at because Jack you're right Jack's going to grow the rough up he's going to make the greens fast so playing from the fairway is just absolutely necessary this week yeah Ben great transition I heard you mentioned the greens there so I do have a question for our resident grass guy here so Dub part of the uh, renovations they changed the greens from a bent crash and poa new a hybrid to a bent crash only style what do you think is going to happen I think this is all about being able to speed the greens up. Poa Nua famous for balls not 
Like towards the end of the day, the ball's not going to roll very true. It's going to be a little bit slower. I think when you go to all bent grass, it's a lot more hardy, and it's going to be allow them to make these greens a lot quicker as we keep talking about to make it more of that U.S. Open style. So it'll definitely play a lot different this year with that change. Yeah, I think POA kind of works its way into your average Muni's courses greens because a little bit easier to maintain, a little harder to kill when it gets really hot out. But yeah, Jack, no, no expense, un, un, you know. So he's gonna go, he's gonna go and make this place as nice as he possibly can. I. When these greens get fast, they're, they're relatively sloping too, and it's you're going to see some of the best short game shots on tour this week. So going into this week, do we think we're going to see a little bit of a John Rom revenge tour after you know he was forced to withdraw with COVID after like three rounds and then a five stroke lead? Well, yes, yeah, six. So John Rom led by six, and then through three rounds, he had picked up 21 shots on the field, like just absolutely tore this course up. He always tears it up. In 13 rounds at Muirfield, he picks up three and a half strokes on the field every round. Yes, I was reading commentary about him watching the fourth round from home, seeing if anyone could get to his 18-under number. I don't even know what the tournament finished at, like 13-under. Yeah. Yeah, he said he knew the wins were up a little bit, but like he could have just gone out and shoot 75 and would have walked away with that tournament. Yeah, so he was he was making jokes and stuff earlier about like you know how he can you know avoid it and all that kind of stuff. He's he seemed to have a good spirits about it, but I think low key he's he's still a little bitter about how that all played out. I think I saw him on property this week like holding a mask like yeah. over his face. <laughs> like just really funny. I don't do they still test for covid on the PGA tour right now? I think they do. I think that's still still a uh, just maybe stigma. just like right when you get there kind of thing. Don't forget that too after that withdrawal or forced withdrawal, 2 weeks later John Rahm won his won the US Open, right? His first major. So I think you, you know, Juram hasn't been playing like the best golf. You know, he he won a few weeks ago, maybe in an exposition that we didn't think he played his best golf, but beat a decent field at the Mexico Open. I'd love to see this kind of reignite John and get him those memories of what it felt like to have to be forced withdraw. And I'd love to see him take it into the major season. Yeah, and he's been a consistent, probably favorite. I mean, maybe not the favorite, but one of the two or three in both majors. And very, he's made the cut in both, but that's about the only good thing he's done in these tournaments. So, Really, like you just said, love to see him get right here, play well. You know, he was the defending champion last year, so really he could be going for a three-peat theoretically <laughs> right now. But, uh, yeah, like for him to kind of turn his season around and get it going. Well, speaking of reignite, let's not discredit that Patrick Cantlay has now won this tournament two out of the last three years, I believe. He's one, another one. Quote unquote. He's another one who has a lot of success <laughs> here. And coming off that pathetic uh, PGA championship display, I'm looking for a big bounce back from him this week, honestly. A meteoric rise? Meteoric rise. Yeah, I'd love to see Patrick Cantlay get back in the winner's circle. I think when, when, when Cantlay's playing well, he hits his driver well. I would say his strokes gained off the tee on tour are relatively average, but that's because he has bad weeks like he did at the PGA, and then he'll back him up with a week where he's top 10 in driving, and he just tears a course like Memorial up. I agree. Kind of surprised that JT's not in the field this week. Well, I tell you, so a lot of guys are be playing this week, then they're going to, you know, I, I don't know. We're not going to talk about it, but like next week is the RBC Canadian, but it's also Live Golf's first event. You know, we've had a lot of drama Maybe. with with the, the entrant list and then them trying to get the PGA to kind of put their cards on the table early on. But this is probably like the last event we're seeing a lot of these big-time golfers before the U.S. Open in Brookline. So lots to keep an eye on this week. All right, cool. That does it. We'll be back in a second to talk about the U.S. Women's Open. All 
All right, the women head into their second major of the year at the Women's U.S. Open at Pine Needles in Southern Pines, North Carolina, a place close to where I went to college and so got to play there a lot. All of us went last fall and played the course. Uh, it's a tricky one. It's got tight fairways. It's got kind of tabletop greens, tiny greens. Um, it's not the longest. The ladies will probably play it pretty tipped out. I think we played it one tee up um, as far as, you know, lots of drivable par fours. Um, but, but it'll be a really good test of golf. I'm sure the course is going to look so much different than when we saw it. There'll be grandstands everywhere. I saw the 18th hole and people hitting their, their second shots in, and I was thinking to myself, like, that looked a lot different than we, when we were there. Uh, this course has produced a long list of really talented winners in Annika Sormstam, Kari Webb, and Christy Kerr, uh, people that were number one in the world when they won. Uh, we got top five in the world coming this week, uh, Jin Young Ko, Lydia Ko, and uh, now we uh, we got Nellie quarterback. Like that's really big. She's been out with her blood clot. Uh, I know Dub's really excited about that. So, Dub, tell us about anything uh, Nellie Corder and anything else this week you like. Yeah, it's just really great to see her back. I mean, she's she was the face of women's golf, especially in America, for basically all of last year when she kind of came on and and won what the PGA champion or the LPGA championship. So, really excited to see what she's got. Now that she's returning to action for the first time in probably, what, six, seven months, something like that? Yeah, she hasn't played since February 5th. And I did see, like, interestingly, like, like before she kind of took off last year, uh, it was she missed the cut at the Women's U.S. Open last year and then just went on her run with and she just catapulted all the way up to number one in the world. So first round back and the tournament maybe still has a little bit of a an edge to her kind of thing. It, you know, it'll be exciting to see how, she, how her game's at, but also how she responds to being back at this tournament. It's also pretty crazy. So the world rankings do this revolving 52-week schedule thing where pretty much whatever you place this week, it replaces what you had last year at that event. Nelly's been out for four months and is still the solid world number two. I mean, she that just explains the kind of golf she was playing before she went out. Yeah, and I don't really know if she's going to be hampered by the injury. I, I, I think I saw she was wearing like a sleeve or something, which is probably knew a way to combat that blood clot and kind of keep the circulation rolling, but it'll be interesting to see the impact it has on our golf game. Yeah. I think a little, little rust on the game kind of coming in, but this is a course that sets up really well for Nelly. It's, you kind of got to move the ball off the tee. A good driver of the golf ball is going to do really well at this course. I mean, you know, when you're missing the fairways of this course, you're going to be in the trees. Um, she's a wonderful iron player too, because these greens are really tiny. Yeah, there's actually a lot of, I feel like good, you know, storylines here with the various players, you know, from Nelly's return, but then you also have, Annika Sorensen coming back here after winning the Women's U.S. Senior Open. She now gets to play in this. And, you know, it's arguably one of the best golfers ever on the LPGA Tour. She's got 72 wins, including 10 majors. So and that's pretty exciting to see her. And then you also have uh, Tyler's girl who pointed out here, Michelle Wee West. She's going to be coming back in maybe one of her, like, final competitive rounds. I will say that that hurt me when I read that. It's just like, in my mind, it's like, that's really what put LPGA on the map was when Michelle Wee came up when she was so young, just was such a talent. And then just to see she's in her early thirties now, and she's saying this is the last competitive round of golf. She's going to play until next year's open. And it's just, to me, it's like, Oh, that's kind of like the end of an era. And now we see all these people like Nelly coming up now that's really taking the game to the next level. But in my mind, it was always Michelle that really kind of started this off to really get the ball rolling. Yeah. She definitely inspired this generation of uh, global women's golf because I mean, not just in the women's game. I think she's arguably the best amateur golfer of our generation, men or women. So she's done so Hot much take. for so much for the game of golf and 
you know, a, a legend. It'll be really interesting to see what she does next. She still have that wild putting stroke where she like completely bends over like 90 degrees. I think it's a little modified now, but it is still pretty crazy. And then don't forget too that Michelle, Michelle, Wee is the defending U S open champion from Pinehurst number two. So she's in town. She's got a lot of local fans. She's on an exemption for winning it just a few years ago. Uh, but I am really sad. I think, uh, Last year, Michelle came back from having her daughter, was kind of getting into it. She had a couple events where she made the cut and was like looking like she could contend on the weekend. She would kind of, you know, fizzle out a little bit, but uh, she's a force. I mean, she still hits the ball further than anyone, and she's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, she's a big reason why the, the purse is where it's at because this isn't uh, setting a record for the LPGA Tour. They're getting up to a $10 million purse this year. Uh, for the U.S. Open, which is their biggest ever, which is kind of exciting for that tour. Hopefully, we'll get start to get better coverage. So we can actually easily watch this versus, you know, it's kind of you have to search for it a little bit a lot of times. What we say, it's double the previous biggest purse. I mean, that's a huge increase, and and kudos for the LPGA for going out and and getting that sponsorship money to be able to increase these purses so significantly for this event. Yeah, I think a flagship event for the for the LPGA. I mean, you got Live Golf talking about offering twenty million dollars a tournament for some just kind of run of the mill every month tournament. So seeing seeing the LPGA really creep up there, like you said, they're going to have to find a way to make this money back because I mean, I think they'll get a lot of ticket sales and stuff. But yeah, hopefully it's more televised and and if it is, they'll get more sponsorship for commercials and stuff like that. Because I know I'll be watching if they had like the coverage they do for the Men's US Open or the PGA on ESPN where they're following groups. I'd be tuning in all day. So I really think I. I think it's kind of a lack of access when it comes to to watching the LPGA Tour, especially at a major when it's a lot of fun to watch because right now it's like on from 2 to 5 p.m. on the Golf Channel right now. Yeah, I'd love to see like ESPN do something similar where what they have with the PGA Tour where they have it's always on ESPN Plus. You can always find the coverage and it's all pretty centralized at any time. And it feels like it would, they have all the coverage. Someone's there filming it anyways. Like why not have that same kind of partnership? Yeah, I mean for all these reasons we're mentioning, but maybe the biggest reason I'm so excited is because I've actually, like we said, we've played this course. So every hole we get to watch them on TV, we can relate back to shanking a tee shot or missing a two-foot putt for bogey on some of these holes. It'll be really fascinating yeah, to watch. a couple them. of the trees that I remember yeah. from hitting under. Yeah, I might have to have a few of those four-craft cocktails to kind of get that drunken recall because it's definitely a little bit of a blur for me. But I am I'm excited to kind of know that this is I've, – I've been there. I've seen these shots before. It is going to be – it's been my first experience, LPGA, PGA, really any level of, you know, professional golf that they're playing, of course, I've seen before. It was so cool, man, rolling up, like, walking out of that clubhouse, seeing that big Rolex clock, like, looking down the first tee, like, the tree the pine trees lining the pharaoh with that hard pan it's like okay this i can see this on tv as a as a real pga lpga course yeah it's another course it's it's designed by donald ross just like pinehurst number two is down down the road kind of thing so it definitely has that same kind of feel like that's how i felt even though we didn't we got to play the cradle which has that vibe but like even playing this had that same like oh this is north carolina you know pinehurst area golf which is just kind of a really neat feeling i think for us well, and it worked out well for us because it's it's relatively open off the tee. Like, you can't get into too much trouble. Yeah, you might be hitting out of, like, the sandy lies, but, you know, generally this course bears its teeth around the greens. You know, they have these turtleback greens. That course is going to be baked as far as it's just going to be a quick, fast, firm. So yeah, it'll be really baked. interesting to see these uh, women bud, play it this bud. year. I tell you, and so I think that them picking this to be their flagship event, to double the purse, to get the women into double digits, double-digit million-dollar purses, 
It has a lot to do with the history of women's golf because uh, the lady that uh, owned this property in Mid Pines and Southern Pines, Peggy Kirk Bell, is one of the most influential members of the LPGA Tour, was a founding member of the LPGA Tour. Her and her famous friend, Babe Zaharias, who's also an Olympic medalist, both played here. Um, it just couldn't be a more fitting place for the LPGA to really kind of set their sights on growing the game, getting the purses bigger, and inspiring the next generation. And speaking of the cradle, I think one thing we don't realize, because we, we went here and played, we were, you know, running late. We're like 10 minutes for our tea time. Go straight to the tea. Uh, Go straight but, to the bar. Then yeah. the tea, let's be honest. But this course, uh, it has like one of the one of the more recognizable ranges on tour. It has like these, these shingled, um, you know, hitting bays at the front of the range. And then same thing at the back of the range. And then at the back of the range too, they had this little four hole loop, which is three par threes and this short little par four. So it's just kind of like, like we're saying, it was kind of like one of the more original golfers' paradises. So it'll be a lot of fun to watch this week. One thing that I really thought was cool about this course was the fact that each hole is like framed like its own. You can't mm-hmm. really you stand on the tee shot of the hole and you're not you can't really see any other holes around you. It's like each hole is its own little story, and you got to figure out how to play it. I mean, there's no like pumping one way right, and you're in like the next hole's fairway, and you have to hit back over. It's like if you're out if you're out of line, you're in trouble, and you got to hit off that hard pan maybe transition to the softer sand, which is what got me when we played there. It was like trying to figure out what kind of sand I was hitting off of and how hard I need to hit it, how much sand I need to take. I don't know if you guys had the same experience or not. Well, I'll be surprised. I'll be interested to see what distance they play this course at too. I mean, I think they're going to play it tipped out, but I'm that's just barely over 7,000 yards. So if the course is firm, I see the girls going kind of low here. I mean, I think it's a course. I, I really didn't find the greens to be that challenging. You just got to hit them. When you miss them, the chipping and, and, like you're saying, the sand game around the greens is a little tough. But I kind of see these girls going you know, really low here. We got top five, top five women in the world playing this week. It should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think a lot of them took a, a rest last week. You know, the match play event was missing a lot of the iconic names in the women's game. So they're well-rested coming into the, this U.S. Women's Open. So... You know, it'll be interesting to see. You know, this course is so cool, too, because the greens have these quick runoff areas. So you miss the green by even a little bit. You're running. I think some of the holes, we were talking about one earlier, you're running way down and you're going to be chipping back up over a mountain to get back up on the green with some of these runoffs. Yeah, so knowing how good the pros are, we probably won't see these women in a lot of places that we were. (laughs) Um, But over, you got to watch for this one hole. Number seven is kind of like a relatively mid-length par four I think the women will probably have like eight irons to pitching wedges in. Uh, but right over the green is quite literally like a eight to ten foot drop off into a collection area. Uh, my buddy Matt and I both hit it over and we put like five bucks on who could get it closer. And so I took my wedge and made like a little fake grass tee that he didn't see. And I hit this flop shot and he was like, <laughs> off of that lie? Unbelievable. But should be a lot of fun. Hopefully and then, Matt uh, doesn't hear that. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't take his five bucks. <laughs> Another notable thing here is this course, like you're saying, it doesn't, uh, the, the holes don't really line each other. I think there's really only a couple holes in the front nine that really kind of go parallel to each other. This course doesn't even have like a traditional turn because it kind of goes out and just weaves its way through the forest. I think the eighth hole has like this little mini turn where you can kind of get some, some food and drinks, but it doesn't, it doesn't come back to the clubhouse because this thing kind of weaves its way uh, through, the, through the pines. Cool, and then also coming up this week, we have the sixth version of the match. Some really famous uh, shots in the history. This one will be really fun because we don't have any pros. I think it's the first time we don't have any pros, so it'll be uh, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers versus Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, kind of like the the old established quarterbacks and then kind of the up-and-coming young ones who have still had a lot of success. Um, 
But first time without a pro golfer, I'm a little nervous that like, I mean, I think there'll be a lot of famous guests and really good commentary. I mean, Chuck will be there. So Chuck always makes it really interesting, uh, but we might not see like the most high caliber golf this week. No, it's probably a good thing. It's only a 12 hole uh, golf event because otherwise we might be watching that thing for about eight hours to try to get through it. Um, but I, I think you're right. The, the uh, It could be really interesting because of the fact there's no pro golfers. I think you're going to see some like weird non-golf related like contests involved with it like i can see them doing like some sort of like super short par three where these guys are just trying to like arm it out there and seeing who can get the football close to the pin and then they're gonna putt from there or something weird so i i'm, I'm tentative but i think you know they could do some cool stuff here to kind of liven this up because in my opinion these are kind of getting a little stale um so I, 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 I would agree i'm not like super looking forward to it i, I would really like to see like like the aptitude of Mahomes and Allen and see if these guys are even decent golfers, but you're right. You get to like the fourth or fifth hole. I need to see some football throwing competitions or I need to see like, you know, Terrell Owens running across the green, like something real fun to see. Yeah. <laughs> it all needs to be the commentary that goes over. I like when the commentators have are right in the players ears yeah. and they're even jawing we'll probably back get and that forth again. a little bit. Um, and speaking about jawing back and forth a little bit, Brady and Rogers, they're already bringing the smack talk in, which is, I think what this type of event needs Tom came out here calling Mahomes Kermit the Frog the other day just because of how he how his voice sounds. And Rogers is saying that he's not even worried about anything that Josh Allen's doing. It's like he's he's won a couple big games, but it's like what else are you really doing? And no Super Bowls yet, and you got guys like Tom and Aaron that are just gonna go out there. If they've done it all, they're decent golfers. I think Tom's like an eight handicap and but I was seeing they think Rodgers is a little bit better. So he's like a four, which is really yeah. impressive. So they've got, they've got he some played talent. really well in the last one. I can't wait till we get to like the the sixth or seventh hole and like and Josh Allen has like a two footer and they make him putt it. And it just like <laughs> seeing a like a caliber quarterback like that who's probably gonna win many Super Bowls in his day, just knees shaking over a two footer. That's what I want to see. I want to see these guys get rattled. It's like what we're talking for the best quarterbacks in the game that probably have never been rattled in their life when they're they're just superstar athletes. Yeah. It's like they're kind of out of their comfort zone a little bit. And are we gonna get to see them? Them where they're not super confident like you said standing over a three-footer well it's so great too i mean they're all mic'd up so they can talk to each other at all times as, as well as hear the commentators so first couple holes probably nerves are a little tight take a little while to get everything going but by five six holes they're gonna be chirping each other just about every shot i'd, I'd hope to see what are the odds Brady just walks out with like all seven of his Super Bowl rings or everybody's got? <laughs> like, hold on, let me take these off. I got to put my. Well, how many Rodgers got? Two. I don't one, think he wants to flex one, on his one, teammates too much. <laughs> He's got eight. Eight versus what's Mahomes got? One. Mahomes has one. Yeah. So it's eight versus one for Super Bowl rings. <laughs> oh, I tell you, so Brady, Brady and Rodgers are minus one eighty. Mahomes and Allen are plus one fifty. I'm definitely not a betting expert, but I think that like Brady and Rogers are a pretty darn solid duo. I mean, Brady, I know we've seen his ups and downs chronicled in these matches, but he's actually like a really solid golfer. And then Mahomes and Allen, I feel like are just like they play in that American century tournament every once in a while and they can hit the crap out of the ball. They can hit it three, three thirty, three forty, but, uh, I'm not looking for them to be able to like get up and down for part of win a hole. I feel like when you see highlights of Patrick Mahomes golfing, it's like him hitting from like some ridiculous position <laughs> where he like really went out offline off the tee and he like hits it to the green somehow. Like those are the only highlights I've ever seen Patrick Mahomes playing golf. It's just going to be pure athleticism is what's going to power Mahomes and Allen through versus Brady and Rogers definitely actually have played a lot more golf for sure. Yeah, as, as Rod a, Rogers last time he looked like a scratch golfer yeah, <laughs> with Bryson. He played unbelievable. I was going to say as a Lions fan, it pains me to. Say, but I'm pretty sure Rogers is by far the best golfer of this group, and it'll probably be probably show this week. Honestly, I think going back to the commentary, I, I'm really excited to see who hosts. I think that 
you know, I think the common trend with these things and even like covering the PGA was like having guests on to talk and then shoot the shit with everyone. But last year, I don't know which version it was, but Brady hold out from like a hundred yards in the fairway and Chuck was talking so much smack in his ear and in like ultimate Brady fashion where we, we don't realize like he is very competitive, but you feel like he's just kind of awkward. And he says, take a suck on that Chuck. And it was like the <laughs> ultimate, like didn't know what to say, wanted to be family friendly and just completely messed it up. Yeah, this is a family friendly podcast. There's no swearing here. <laughs> I, I'm really hoping that we get a uh, Pat McAfee appearance though on, on those things. Cause he's good buddies with Rogers and he's just, he always, anytime he's on one of these things, whether it was like Monday night football or he does like all the wrestling stuff. He's just so he makes everything so entertaining. I think he could be a really big asset if they can get him. He to did come on. say he it was up to something season, so maybe this could be part of up to coming season. There we go, or up to something season. And so we'll see them be pl- they'll be playing uh, alternate shot like a modified alternate shot where they kind of take the best tee shot and then play the alternate shot from there. Uh, but we talked about how hard alternate shot is, and especially in a pressured environment like this for guys that aren't golfers for their main occupation i think we're going to see some pretty crazy holes what do you think the winning score like would be i know it's match play but like what do you think these guys are actually going out and shoot over these oh in 12 holes probably like five six over might win i think they're, they're going to have their fair share of bogeys especially with alternate shot yeah i can't wait to like i would wish we were in a place where we could like live bet on it kind of thing just be like i bet double bogey wins this hole kind of thing so this is the same location that brooks and bryson played each other i have to look it up i don't i don't remember too much it's it like you said, it just feels like all these matches start to bleed together. So I'm really looking for this one to be a little unique, have some good guests, have some good competitions, like kind of revitalize what we felt like when we watched the first match. Yeah, but even the first match wasn't that. Like the Tiger Phil thing it was so awkward because then they got like super competitive about it where like they just weren't talking anymore. So it took all of that away and they were just like really angry with each other. I do remember that. It was kind of like before we knew that maybe Phil was kind of a piece of shit with his gambling. And Phil's <laughs> like, to be. And Phil, to be. Phil's like, all right, 100 grand on this be. shot. Oh, and the yeah. Tiger's like, no, that's too much. And Phil's like, all right, 50 grand. It's like, all right, Phil, that's a lot of money on this shot. Yeah. Was, was that the one where Brady like topped his tee shot and hit like his first four shots out of bounds or something like that? But that was the one to get, was he playing against Chuck with in that one? No, that, that was, was like the COVID one. Tiger and Brady playing what, Peyton and Peyton Phil. And oh, Phil. yeah. It was like the first live event. The first one was just watch. straight up Peyton and, or it's not Peyton and Brady. It was a uh, Phil and a uh, Tiger. Tiger. Just, okay, and yeah, it, they yeah. did it like That's they right. finished. Like they like, have basically like cars in the like the on the 18th tee while they try to like figure out the tiebreaker. I'm no like Tom Brady fan, but I do think he's better at golf than he's exhibited in these matches. So you I'm kind of looking hole in one that he allegedly shot. Well, yeah, right, the <laughs> fake video. But I'm kind of really looking for for Tom Brady's like coming out party. Is like I think he could be a scratch golfer. I think he's the best swing. That's what's crazy about these events is they're like, oh, these guys have five, six, seven handicaps, and they go out there and they're pounding 300 yard drives right down the middle. Like, throwing darts at the pin. It's like, what kind of handicap are these guys scoring here? I, I think mean, so. they're way better than what they Rogers certainly looked like a scratch golfer in the last one. All right, that does it for us. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram and follow us at Big Players Only Pod. We'll be back next week. Thanks for joining us.